money is really scary because it's one of those things that you don't know how it works, but you feel like you should know how it works and you feel like you should understand it. But then you have a disability that actually affects how you see it and how you appreciate it. Welcome to the ADHD Lounge Podcast. Whether you are someone with ADHD or a learning disability or just curious to learn more, come hang out with us in the lounge. I'm Alex. I was diagnosed with dyslexia and ADHD at the age of eight, and I am the founder of Capable Consulting. And I'm Katie, founder of Women and ADHD and host of the popular Women and ADHD podcast. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45. You can also find the two of us over at the ADHDlounge.com, our all-in-one ADHD coaching community. In each episode, we'll be diving deep into the world of ADHD, discussing unique challenges, sharing our personal stories, providing support and resources, and bringing in experts to help us along the way. So grab your favorite drink, maybe a croissant, grab a seat, or start walking or cleaning or however you listen, because at the ADHD Lounge, you can come exactly as you are. All right, we are back with episode 14. Thank you for joining us. Alex and I are here together. We're going to be talking about ADHD and finances. It's the second podcast in this series. So if you haven't yet listened to episode 13 with Erin Schultz, the founder of Her Personal Finance, highly recommend you listen to that episode first. She has some great advice for saving and spending and looking ahead at retirement. So if those are anything that gives you as, as much anxiety as they do me, I highly recommend you go listen. <laughs> so, so before we hit record, Alex and I were trying to think about what we would talk about because I feel like I am a fish out of water talking about finances because it's always been such a disaster for me, which to which Alex, you pointed out, that's why this is such a hugely important topic for people with ADHD. Yeah. I think everyone I've ever coached is like icky and uncomfortable around money. And that's why I was like, I have to make us a little uncomfortable talking about finances because anyone who's listening to this is likely an adult and has a credit card, has hopefully a job, has something that they are spending money on or saving for. And so we have to kind of hold ourselves accountable to understand how this stuff works because it's part of your daily life and it affects you every day and you kind of have to pull back the curtain and, and actually look what's behind there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hear you. All right. I mean, you know, it's funny. I know. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because my business, I have no problem with my business in terms of like tracking spending. I'm very diligent. Mm. I'm very diligent about my, budget in terms of just my spreadsheet, right? So it's actually really fun for me because it's very manageable because it's just me. And so I think the issue for me is really credit cards. That's where I got into a lot of trouble. And I think, I don't know about you, but like, we only use our credit cards now ever since the pandemic. I used to be a cash only kind of person. I've gotten into trouble again since the pandemic now that we literally pay for everything on our credit cards again. I'm actually going to bring it back to the fact that you just mentioned you're great when it comes to finances around your business, but not for your personal. And I think because there's two reasons. One, your business, you start at zero. You remember how you could create the system that makes sense for you. You added things in, you bring things in. It's, it's much easier to track and simplify because it's 
just you, although now we have our own business that we're doing together, we do have that added piece. But it actually reminds me of something that someone brought up at the ADHD conference and I cringed so much because they were making fun of their child for having an extremely messy room and then said something like, this is what their room looked like at home. And then at work, their desk was perfectly neat. I don't understand what the difference was. The difference is home is safe, work is not. So you for work, when you were a a sole proprietor and it's just on you, you were the only one in charge. When you are part of a family, when you are part of a network that's a little bit different, it's safer because you're hoping somebody else can catch you where you fall. And I think that that's probably not that uncommon, especially when people are with a partner or if you are single, it's it might be uncomfortable and safer because maybe you have a personal accountant or you have somebody who's helping you a little bit or maybe your work is is that place for you because you have an account manager or somebody who's checking over your finances, you're not fully responsible. So I want to bring that up because it's not crazy to me that that feels uncomfortable one way versus the other. So let's start with that. But in terms of credit cards, I mean, I, I had mentioned on the last episode, my dad's a financial planner. So I think my relationship with money is a little bit different because he would constantly say to me, well, you can't spend what you don't have. And so I actually didn't take out a credit card until I graduated from college because anything that I was making, I put in my checking account and I only used my debit card. Now, was that the best advice? It's not that he gave me that advice. It was more that that's what I understood. I know what money is in and if I'm spending it, that's what's coming out. And so credit cards felt very far-fetched for me because I was like, but what if I get into a place where I'm spending what I don't have and how do I pay it off? And I was nervous about that. It didn't really help my credit score because I didn't have credit for a long time, but I was thinking that had to be better because I wasn't spending what I didn't have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that is, it was actually quite validating to see there was some financial advice on like how to save money on Attitude Magazine's website. And I found, you know, one of the examples was to put yourself on an allowance. And it was really interesting to me because that was something I did for years uh, when my husband and I got married, which was he, you know, we could have understood he was going to be in charge of the finances because my history was so terrible. And mm. he, you know, and we met, I don't know even if I know if I even shared this story on my uh, women in ADHD podcast, but I, so when I first met my husband, I had just moved to the U S my, uh, I mean, my finances were a disaster in Canada and I just was, you know, I was spending money that I didn't have on my credit card. And then when it came time to pay the minimum balance, I was like, Oh, I'll, uh, I don't want to deal with that right now. And so I was constantly feeling, cause I just wasn't making enough money to live. And so I was really just right living on the credit card. And so by the time I moved to the U S all the moving expenses and everything, I was desperately in debt. And I remember, you know, this was back in 2001, early 2002. So we still had landlines and like he was over one of the first times he had come over to my apartment and we're chatting and flirting and my phone rings and I walk over to my phone and I pick up the receiver and immediately hang up again. 
<laughs> and he was like, what was that about? And then I burst into tears and I was like, it's the, it's the creditors calling me. They found me and I don't know what to do. And I just burst into tears. I was like, I need help. I'm in really big trouble. And so we still joke because I'm like, to this day, I don't know why he didn't run out the door at that moment. <laughs> like we had just started dating. And I was like, I don't know why he was like, get me out of here. But he didn't. And he stayed and he was like, all right, we're going to face this together. And he helped me consolidate all of my debt and got me a reasonable payment plan. And like, so from that moment on, that was sort of established our relationship that he was going to be the like adult in the room when it came to money. And so I very quickly put myself on an allowance where I was like, what works best mm. for me is to have a chunk of cash. And every week, I know that that's all I have. And when it's gone, it's gone. Uh, and that really helped me to not just randomly buy things spontaneously at Target and stuff like that. But I always felt very embarrassed about that because people would always make me feel like I was, you know, a child. First of all, I'm so glad that you shared that and felt comfortable sharing that. And I'm sure that there are people who are going to listen to this and say like, Oh my God, it's not just me. Oh God. Yeah. It's not no. just me. <laughs> it's really scary. Money is really scary because it's one of those things that you don't know how it works, but you feel like you should know how it works mm -hmm. and you feel like you should understand it. But then you have a disability that actually affects how you see it and how you appreciate it. It's like this out of sight, out of mind piece when you're, when you're spending what you don't have, if you put it on a credit card and you don't look at your statement, it's like in one ear and out the other. It really makes it hard. That impulsive spending of you have to have it right now, it's not satisfying to put it away, to save it for something in the future. It's satisfying when you get to that point, but instantly it's not. And I think that that's also why people really, really struggle with money and they struggle to ask questions. And that's why I joked when Erin was talking about what she does for a living. I'm like, you're doing this because so many people do not understand how money works, do not understand how credit cards work, don't understand how the debt part works, don't understand how to pay their student loans back. I'm going to use this word. It's not really a word. I think it's not really a word. It's gobbledygook. Like mm -hmm. that, that is like what it feels like. And I wouldn't tell you that I am perfect by any means when it comes to finances. I, I feel like I am in the category of no matter what I have in my bank account, it doesn't feel like enough. I'm like always bringing in like it's a, like I'm a chipmunk and I'm saving for the winter. Like it's a just in case period. And I think that that came from, I've worked in startup worlds before and there was a point when I was not getting paid for the startup that I was in because I had quote unquote equity. That was like how it worked out, which if you know how equity works, you don't get it like immediately. <laughs> this is like later. This is also how you know I was young and stupid because I had like $6 in my bank account and I was babysitting on the side in cash and taking whatever cash I got and found the first Chase Bank I could put it in to put it in my bank account as fast as I could because I was like, I need to pay my electrical bill. Like I, it was like, I had nothing. So I think that I'm the, I, I take in whatever I get. And by the way, with the $6, I was debating if I had enough money to buy coffee or a muffin. And the answer was neither. <laughs> I had neither. <laughs> so I have been on like every end of this of not 
feeling like I had enough or I had enough. It just, it's really uncomfortable. And I, I'm even uncomfortable talking about it. I know I was like saying to you before we got on, on this recording, like, this is why we need to have this conversation. It's why we need to have this conversation. You're certainly not alone in your struggles with money. And there's things that I have learned along the way that have made things easier. But I think one of the points that I wanted to say was like, your husband walked into this and was already a level of support. As much as we like to do these kinds of things on our own, because we might be embarrassed, it's probably a good idea to find somebody you trust to help give you the support, help ask the right questions for you or help you manage the parts that feel icky. Yeah. Well, and not only that, I think, you know, one thing that Aaron touched on was how explicitly we need to go over these things. And I think it speaks to being an experiential learner, which is like my mother, mm. who was an accountant, I think assumed I would understand money the way she does did. So she would give me these kind of blanket statement advice. Uh, you know, she would give me blanket statement advice, like, you know, like I had mentioned in the podcast with Aaron, where it was like, make sure you get lots of credit cards when you turn 18, because it'll build your credit score. And I didn't really understand what that meant. I just knew I needed to get a lot of credit cards because that was the adult thing to do. And then I got into trouble. And but she didn't really explain to me how that worked. And so one thing I really appreciated, like my husband, over the last 22 years has taught me so much about being very explicit and like, and on top of things, because nobody had told me, I feel like a lot of it is like you said, the gobbledygook of just like, I feel like so much younger than other people in terms of how much I knew at the time in my 20s. And I Mm. felt like I was kind of thrust into adulthood after leaving university and had so much freedom and didn't really understand what I was supposed to be doing. Like, I felt like I was suddenly a kid in adult clothing a lot of the time. And I feel bad for that kid because I just really didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I, you know, that's, I feel Mm. so much pressure to now teach my kids. I have one who's like you, who's like very, very intentional, saves every penny and agonizes over every purchase. And then my son is just like me. Who's like the minute he has money, he spent it. And then he's asking for, he's asking to borrow more, right? (laughs) He's the one who would used to ask, like uh, he would try to get IOU money from the tooth fairy. (laughs) Because he was like, I'm good for it. I mean, look, I've been, I've been on both ends of this and like, I'll be on both ends of it in the same month. It's, you know, I have the money all of a sudden it's like my eyes go really wide. Now I can buy something. And then the second I do it, I was like, wait, I have to save. It's like a constant back and forth. But I was just, I was just saying to Katie before I got on, my husband and I had gone to Target. We had to get like a bunch of last minute things. And I looked at him. I said, do not grab a cart. We brought our own reusable bags. Whatever goes in these bags is all we are taking out because I was like, this is a trap. So I am aware of the triggers for me because I will easily go down the clothing aisle and be like, that's cute. Or I will find my way down like the dollar area. I'm like, oh, this will be fun for my daughter. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, do I need this in the bag? This is going to take room. Like, what's the point? So I think Aaron had mentioned, what are your triggers when it comes to money that you know you're going to spend on, impulsively spend on, and how can you 
how can you catch yourself when you know that that's an issue? And sometimes you don't really know that until you face the music and actually open up your bank account and really look at what's there and where are your trends. I think the fact that everything can be on our phones, like uh, Amazon Prime can be quite an issue because it'll just show up. The buy, Yeah, the buy now button is is one of the worst inventions <laughs> for, uh, especially I mean, for me and my um, impulsive spending. I really have to be very intentional about keeping things, putting things in the cart and not just hitting by now. And I, I'm not yeah. good at it. Like I will admit that's the advice. Yeah. I, you know, I talk about that with clients and I know in the, in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, note to self, uh, follow your own advice. Cause it's really hard. I always put stuff in my cart and I wait, like How if long? I can wait a week, a week. Is that, is that, I mean, that me, that, that's usually, I think that's smart. I just don't know if I have it in me. It's not for everybody. And and for some people, they might say like two or three days. If there's something in there that I'm like, I need this immediately, like diapers. One, I try and put things like that on a subscription. So I, so I'm not forced to actually go into my phone and purchase it. They're like staples that I always need. I'm always going to need diapers. I'm always going to need wipes. I'm always going to need like paper towels and toilet paper and the like household essentials. So I put some of those on subscription so they show up. So I'm not tempted by opening my phone and looking at Amazon or going to Costco or other things like that, because I'll start to add other things. Those are my triggers. One of the things I find really helpful are the those percentage of your monthly income pie charts, which is like, you know, as she had said, what did she say? She said 20, uh, roughly 20% of your income should be going into savings, either retirement savings, right? Was it 20%? I don't remember exactly. No, I apologize. I remember. I don't remember Maybe it was 12. the exact percentage. She did say- <laughs> anyway, it was I'm different for it. different age demographics. Yeah, that's true. Oh, yes, that's true too. Because right now we're putting every last dime into 529s for, for my kids because we did not start when we should have when they were babies. And so we're kind of trying to do the math now, realizing that my daughter's going to school in two years that we're like, Oh, crap. So we're doing that. But I really like the idea of of immediately, you know, as soon as a check comes in, immediately having it automatically go into a savings account and credit card, the fact that those are set up, I think are so great for our types of brains. When I had a more corporate type of job, my husband works in, in corporate, he would split his paychecks no matter what to automatically do that. So it was like a percentage of whatever he was making went into our savings account. And we had a high, we have a high yield savings account. And so we would put money there. So it was like whatever he was getting in his own bank account was like his fun money, essentially, not really his fun money because we had other things we were spending on, but I would go through and it's the beginning of the year. It might be the kind of time that at your company, you might be able to say like, can I change the percentage of my check going into different accounts? I feel like that that made a huge difference for me because whatever I was putting in my personal account, my checking account was actually something I could spend on. So this is also something we didn't get to talk about, but a lot of people have multiple different bank accounts and bank that they work with. And that was something that, I was also consciously trying to do because I wanted to have something that was mutual between me and my husband, but we 
both wanted our own separate like everyday accounts, which some people have like mixed feelings on, but it was like, he's making what he's making. I'm making what I'm making. We're contributing to like certain accounts together to pay for the mutual things. But it was the easiest way for us to say like out of sight, out of mind, but in a good way. Yeah, no, that makes total sense to me. And I have to admit, I was sort of I used to be the kind of person who was like, why wouldn't you have a joint account if you're married? Uh, And now I get it because I feel like it's very similar to like chores, right? Like I feel like whatever Mm -hmm. chores in our household are shared, it becomes an issue because then it's like you have to not only remember to do the chore but you have to remember when it's your turn and when it's not your turn and you have to, and then you get annoyed when the other person isn't doing it. And like, it just adds a lot of layers to who's loading the dishwasher correctly and who isn't. And who, you know, like I feel like I don't load the dishwasher I don't even, correctly. Like ever, I know. So. Well, I, I feel like I load the dishwasher one way. That is the correct way. And my husband feels like his way is the correct way. But so we, we have a tendency to like say, no, this is your domain. This is my domain. Cause it works for us. And it's much easier yeah. to remember and, to do it. And so I feel like a lot of that comes down to manageability and kind of making things as simple as Mm -hmm. possible. It makes total sense to me why that would also work for finances. Cause I think one of the reasons why it's not hard for me to deal with my, with my business, like you said, it's just me. And so it's just me making decisions. It's just me bringing the money in and it's just me bringing the money out. Whereas once it comes to the two of us, it's like, there's so many different random expenses and the, you know, you look at the credit card statement and it's just millions of like $5 charges. everywhere, (laughs) And it's like, that's not manageable. I can't keep track of that. So I think it does, it comes down to like, how can I make things as manageable as possible? And how can I make as little of this money accessible to me? (laughs) It's the other one, right? Like it needs to be somewhere where I can't reach it. Well, that was actually one of, as I said, why I thought it was easier when I had a paycheck in a, in a more formal setting to be able to split immediately. It's harder to do that as a small business for right now. Hopefully that will be different, you know, down the road, but that was much easier. The other thing I was going to say that I, I mean, this, this episode will go in January. So who knows if I will have found a new system by then I am truly devastated by the fact that mint is disappearing oh yeah i meant to ask that why what's wrong why why is it disappearing i I think they were either bought out or they went bankrupt i have to really like i don't know what it is but they're closing and i am devastated beyond belief because i've been using this since i was 22 years old it has been a place where i could see everything it wasn't just my bank accounts. It wasn't just my credit cards. It gave me my credit score. It gave me the spending that I was doing. It gave me goals and how I was saving money for certain things. It was a really great app. So now I'm going to have to try and figure something out. Erin gave a few different apps that she recommends that I've used some of them with clients. I know a lot of my clients really like YNAB. Why? Oh my God. What does YNAB stand for? It stands for, you need a budget. Um, I know several of my clients who have found that to be a really useful program, but I, it didn't connect with me personally, not to say that it won't for you, but I really liked being able to see everything all at once. And it was very user-friendly. And so I'm, I am very uncomfortable now having to move things over to a new system and learn something new. And I think that that's also 
what makes money so uncomfortable is like having to constantly learn new things as you're trying to save for other things or trying to understand how to make your money go in a certain way. And even just learning about the stock market or putting your money into like a 529 if you have children to try and save for their colleges, like that's a whole new system to figure out. And again, to ask questions. And this takes so much executive functioning to learn all of these steps and then track it. So having a system that works for you, that makes it easier to track. Um, I promise by the time this episode comes out, I will have figured a new way. And maybe I will comment on this episode later to say, guess what? I found something that really works for me and hopefully it will work for you. That's my goal. I, I'm holding, you're holding me accountable, Katie. All right. It sounds good. She recommended Copilot, which I don't, I haven't, I yeah, missed Copilot Quicken. Was another and, one. and Quicken is one of those ones where I would buy and, and be determined to get all of my finances together. And I would like hyper track for about a week and then lose interest and get overwhelmed. <laughs> so. Yeah, it, that's the thing. It Because when you see all your things in one place, that's when it gets overwhelming. Yeah. I, I feel that. But I also felt like if I didn't put it all in one place, it didn't exist. And so to me, that was more uncomfortable. Yeah. No, I hear you. Especially when there's like more than one, you know, when you're, when you're in a family bringing in two incomes, you have to figure out for yourself. I think when you are single, I mean, I still used, let's be clear. I still used mint when I like first graduated from college and I needed to see where everything was going because it also had like 401ks. Like you could also see that. So it was, uh, if you could tell I am warning this because I am, I am so uncomfortable trying something new because money is scary. And it also, I was mentioning there was a few episodes from the daily podcast that were talking about millennials in particular, that really struggling with money is money. And I am, I am a millennial and this is something that I think that that uh, squirrel mentality of like collecting all the nuts and holding on to it is is something that is going to be a generational thing that it never feels like enough because the cost of everything is so much more and it just feels so out of reach to do the same things that like our parents did like buying a house. But there was another episode that was talking about the fact that housing is just one way to invest your market, invest in the market and invest in yourself. And that's kind of what Aaron was talking about. Like, how can you find ways to invest in your future, even though it might not feel as satisfying and give you that dopamine hit immediately? Like, what can you do for your future? Yeah, I think that's where a lot of my own financial anxiety lies. You know, I think one of the things with ADHD is that we don't tend to be in the same company for a long time. So we don't Mm. have a sense of financial security, even if we are like many of us are self-employed. So being an entrepreneur, there's zero financial security. My husband's, you know, he's had, I've been with him for 22 years and he has worked for exactly two companies over the course of those 22 years. I, I, can't, I can't even count how many different places I worked in that time. <laughs> and so a lot of the, right. you know, jumping and, and, and that kind of job hopping that a lot of us tend to do, it's not great for our earning potential and savings potential, right? And so like a lot of my anxiety right. lies in 
what's going to happen one day when you either leave me or die and I'm going to be alone. And like, do I have enough money? And what's that? Like, there's so many unknowns. So I'm constantly asking him, like, I'm like, what, okay, what's going on? How much, how much retirement do we have? What am I going to get if you die from your company? What? <laughs> so morbid and he's like why are you asking me this so depressing and i'm like i just have so much anxiety around it because there's so many unknowns i don't know what things are going to cost in 20 years right so i'm like how do you even forecast that and i don't follow inflation so i don't really you know like there's again it's like it's too hard for me to do that it's like another language and so all i do is sit with this anxiety of the unknown of like, okay, do we need, should I put, do we need to put out like another life insurance for you so that I, you know, so that I'm comfortable when you die? And he's like, geez, stop asking. (laughs) It's like, I'm so like, I just, I have so much anxiety around that. I'm just like, please let me go first before you so that I don't have to deal with all of that, like the sadness and the anxiety of trying to take care of myself while I'm alone. And I really like I sound like such a child. I really feel like I have fallen into that very gendered category of the wife who's like, I don't know, my husband deals with it. But often a lot of times I do, even though I feel like I'm a participant in our finances right now. And that like, there's just so much of that future unknown when, when we are old and I have, you know, very little earning potential uh, to fall back on like, what are we going to do? I don't know. I don't know. So if you're listening to this and you, and you have an answer, please contact me so I can, you know, breathe easier. I have an answer because Aaron is literally running a course teaching people how to understand their money. Yeah. And it's co- it's coming out this month in January. And I think that this is why I really wanted to bring her on. And I really wanted to help people understand all the things that feel icky and uncomfortable and knowing where your money is going and how having a place to hold yourself accountable, not just to yourself, but other people and, in Erin's program, she does sessions as a group, but she also meets with you one-on-one to be able to help you understand personally, like how your finances are working and how you can make a future for yourself. So you don't necessarily have to lean in to your husband to be like, I don't understand this because this is really hard. And I just want to reiterate this. I always talk about this when it comes to having ADHD or having a learning disability is These are tasks that are hard and not challenging. And when they're really hard and you're constantly going uphill, you need to find people around you who do understand, who can help take the pressure off, kind of take those rocks out of your backpack as you're climbing out up this hill to say like, I got this. Let me, let me help make this a little bit easier for you. So you don't feel alone as you're trying to learn something really, really complicated. Yeah. And I think also I, we tend to get into this trap of like, it's just simple math. I should be able to figure this out if I spend it's more not. time working on it. So I think there's just the shame there, which is like, I feel really dumb about this and I'm embarrassed about the fact that I feel dumb. So let me just like figure this out on my own. Cause I'm actually a smart person. And there's those are those moments where it's really helpful for me to remind myself that like, I'm really smart at some things, which allows me, gives me permission to be dumb at other things. And like you said, then I can ask for help for those where I'm like, that's just not how my brain works. It's not even being dumb. And I'm going <laughs> right. to, I can only use, I know I can 
only use that word in reference to myself. I understand, but you also shouldn't speak to yourself in such a way because it's not true and you wouldn't allow your daughter to speak to herself That's that way. That's true. Thank you. There Coach are Alex. things that you understand. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> there are things that you understand well, and there's things that you need support on. And that doesn't make you dumb. That doesn't make you any less deserving of understanding information. This is something that you can do for yourself because it's important for you to understand. You should not feel dumb about it and you should not feel upset that you don't understand. You can come to the conclusion that this is something that you need help on Mm -hmm. and there is help. And there are people like Aaron who are willing to help you and sit Mm -hmm. down with you and answer your questions and make this a little more friendly for you to understand. And the reason I really liked Aaron's approach and why I brought her on is because I think her approaches are really friendly to someone who has ADHD because she understands that budgets are not something you might stick to. You don't, it doesn't compute with you. It's not easy to understand. And if you were to say, here, I understand money. What I really need is I need to make more money. That's not an answer either. So let her help you figure out what the next steps are for you. And and if starting with her is not the right next step for you, then maybe the first thing you can do for yourself is just open the app for your bank account and look to see what you have and look to see what you're spending money on and be honest with yourself as to where your money is going and how you can maybe track that for three months to see what is it that you really need and kind of work backwards. But you deserve to have that support. One of the things I really like about Erin too, is even though she went to Harvard Business School, like she's so warm and nurturing and and her course too. I think one of the things I really wish I had her course right when I graduated university and I was thrust into adulthood Mm. and had no idea what I was doing. Because when I love the fact that her course breaks down investment at any, and you know, and then like you said, she'll talk to you individually to see like how aggressive do you need to be? Obviously, if you're in your fifties, you need to be a little more aggressive than if you're in your twenties, but it looks like she's able to kind of look at where you are in your life and then work backwards, like you said. Um, but I love like it, it, I feel like this course would be this boot camp would be such a great like graduation gift for uh, oh, a college yeah. graduate because she's talking about investment, home buying, retirement, like what accounts do I even need? Like, it, it, oh God, I really, I really wish a 25 year old Katie could have taken this course. <laughs> yeah. But who knows that and I wouldn't have is- met my savior husband. <laughs> There you go. I think that she is as warm as she comes off on this podcast. I've known her for like 17 years and that is her entire family. That's how her sister, who's like one of my close friends is. I'll just share this story uh, about her sister, Mindy, who I love, who's probably listening to this and laughing at me. (laughs) They're from Texas. I'm from New York. We went to school in Indiana. People are very nice in the Midwest. Like, exceptionally nice and we went to this restaurant that was like the waiters were overwhelmed because there were like 50 of us in this restaurant and the the waiters going back and forth and Mindy like grabs a waiter and said I just want to thank you for working hard and I start laughing uncomfortably because I because I'm from New York no one says something like that that nice and is genuine they're usually saying it because they're being sarcastic And I was like, that was so rude. 
why would you say that? She goes, I was, I, I, he was working really hard and I wanted him to know that. I was like, yeah, he is, but you don't, you don't say that. She was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like people are nice. And I was like, people are nice. Whoa. So like, it, that's exactly how Aaron is too. She's just like as warm as you could possibly imagine. And, and what you see is what you get. So the New Yorker in me was not used to meeting Texans and having people be that genuine and nice. And it, it was very refreshing in college. And I love their family for that, for reminding me that people are kind. <laughs> this hard shell of me. Anyway, I think we should jump into our Is It Just Me session. And Katie, you've been making a list of them. So I want you to go first. Well, this is actually kind of related to the conversation we were talking about, which about manageability and chores, right? Because one of the things I'm like, I feel like whenever my husband is out of town, I am really, really good when it's just me and the kids. Uh, because mm. I know I'm the only one who's doing it. And I feel like I'm like, is it just me? Or is that like, I love him and I want him to be around all the time. Clearly, I don't want him to leave me if I haven't made that clear. Yeah. But I'm like, there's something about that manageability of not only am I the only one who's in charge of like, you know, when the kids were little, I was the only one in charge of bedtime. So it meant went more smoothly and all of those decisions. But I feel like there's something about like not having to worry about how your partner is going to think about you. Like there's something about being unmasked mm. when you are by yourself that used to always be like, am I a terrible person? I love my husband, but I love when he goes out of town. And so I was curious because I feel like there's a lot of ADHD in there in terms of not, you know, how much judgment we feel like we have in our lives, even if it's not there explicitly, I think it kind of follows us around a lot even with the people we love. And so I think it's, we have a tendency to, to put our own desires on the back seat for the person that we love. Now I'm getting really philosophical. But anyway, that was one of the ones on my list. But I actually I get it. And probably not for the same way that you're sharing it. I felt that when I lived with roommates, that if I was home by myself, I was so much more relaxed. And if I heard somebody come in the door, my first reaction was, oh, shit. Mm. Like, I, like, dude, does that mean that I have to, like, interact? I was really comfortable just, like, being in a space by myself. And actually, when I moved in with my now husband, I didn't have that reaction. And I remember thinking, huh, that's interesting. I was okay with somebody else being in my space and it wasn't that I didn't love some of my roommates that I've had. Uh, there was ones that I absolutely did not love. And I probably had that reaction more. But it was, I don't know, I still felt safe. But I, I but masking is, is very real in that scenario. Yeah, that's so funny. That's such an introvert answer. Because my husband used to say that to me when we were together. He's like, you're the only person I've ever met who I feel like I'm alone when I'm with you. And I would always joke and be like, yes. wow, that is that a, supposed to be a compliment? But I totally like it's exactly like you said, it was just that feeling of safety. And that there's no difference yeah. in terms of being on, you know, the way you have to be around yeah. other people. And I think that's such a uh, you know, interesting experience for those of us who are introverts yet are also outgoing. Yes, I am all of 
those things at the same time. But I think anybody who sees me in person is like, you're such an extrovert. No, that was the thing I loved. Lindsay Gunsold, uh, when I was interviewing her, she she made that very, very like semantic distinction, which I really appreciate and I use all the time now, which is like, I'm outgoing, but I'm not an extrovert. And uh, for me, I was like, that perfectly describes yes. my experience. I'm 100% an introvert. Yeah, actually, I, I completely relate to that. And now... I don't know if that if you're now thinking back to my workshop at the ADHD conference and thinking that because I'm so outgoing in like certain in my element, yeah. I'm outgoing. And then I, and before that, I was like, hermit crap. <laughs> All right, what's yours? Yes. So I would say what was my is it just me? I told Katie this story on the way <laughs> to the ADHD conference. I was driving and I forgot to take off my coat while I started driving and the car was really, really cold. And then I was losing my mind because as I'm driving, I couldn't find a way to take off my coat. But the, it was like the car heater was on. I had the the sun beaming on me and like making me sweat. And I called my husband and was panicking because I literally could not take off my coat. I was like wiggling through through this I was like I don't want to hit anybody I'm on the highway like this is this is really bad so he's like okay Alex you're gonna calm down breathe with me breathe with me we are gonna turn your the car on to like basically autopilot like you're gonna put on lane assist you're gonna do this and he like walked me through taking off my jacket because I was going to panic driving for three hours with my jacket on so are you a jacket on jacket off driver because that was the that was the worst sensory experience I can explain to anybody was driving with my coat on in the winter. Absolutely not. Can't do it. And I can't believe I forgot to do it. That was terrible. Yeah. No, there is nothing worse than being too hot or too, or too cold in a car. Uh, I feel like I'm constantly fiddling with the temperature. And I do, when I know it's a long car ride and I'm driving, I will never wear a coat for that same reason. Cause I'm terrified. So <laughs> it's very, really I also evil. hate coats. Like, Oh God, I, I, just, I hate coats. I hate the winter. You'd think I'd live in a warmer climate than I do, but no, that was like, I, those are the sensory issues that bother me the most. It's like the, the I'm too hot or too cold. Mm -hmm. If you want to attend any of these expert talks live and ask your questions, like uh, everybody was able to do with Aaron, make sure to join us in the ADHD Lounge online community. That's at theadhdlounge.com. And we're doing some great things in there for, for 2024. So I hope you'll join us. And that's a wrap for this episode of the ADHD Lounge podcast. Thank you for listening and make sure to join us over at theadhdlounge.com. We've got resources, co-working, workshops, and a community of amazing ADHD folks just like yourself. And you can also attend these recordings live where you can ask questions and join in these discussions as they're happening. So make sure to head over to theadhdlounge.com to join us today and you can find that link in the show notes. And if you've made it this far and you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback means the world to us and it helps us reach more listeners who could benefit from these conversations. Seriously, do it. Go now before you forget it. <laughs>